What's up, everybody? My name is Joshua T. Berglund, and we are live right now on the Live Mono Worldwide Multimedia Broadcast Network. Thank you guys so much for being here today. Uh, you guys are in for a treat. One of my, he's been on the program before, but he's one of the people that I admire most in the world. Uh, somebody that, uh, I got to be honest with you, I don't know that I would have the opportunity to be doing what I'm doing now if it wasn't for getting to meet this guy. Uh, everything that I've learned in media, everything I've learned about the, the entertainment industry, it all really started the day I first met Mr. John Duffy, who's our guest today. But he is not just somebody that works in entertainment. He is so much more. Um, and I just, his insight, his wisdom, and his life experience is just something that you have to listen to. And the reason why you have to listen to it is because the world that we're going into, he's, uh, let's just say that he's been uh, in the forefront, the grassroots part of that movement. Now, don't let that shock you. I haven't gone in a weird direct, well, <laughs> I've gone plenty of weird directions. Never mind. I don't want to say that. Let's just say that he is somebody that you want to listen to. He's somebody that the words he speaks, he doesn't just run his mouth. Um, I can be a loud mouth sometimes, but he is somebody that chooses his words carefully. And he's one of those people that when he does speak, you want to listen. Because I got to tell you, all the different conversations I've had with him over the years, it's like I've taken something from that. And I don't know about you, but those are the kind of friends that I want in my life. I don't need any of the nonsense I want people with wisdom, even more so than wealth and success and everything else. Wisdom is one of the most powerful things that we can ever, ever uh, apply to our lives uh, the, that we want to be around. We want to surround ourselves with it. So anyway, enough of that. You guys are in for an amazing treat today. Really quick, I want to give a shout out to Bod by Alley. Thank you so much uh, for your uh, just sponsorship and your support of the Live Mono Worldwide Foundation, which is Jessica and I's nonprofit media organization and multimedia broadcast network. Also want to give a shout out to E360 TV. Thank you guys so much for your support. Uh, as you know, the Live Mono Worldwide Multimedia Broadcast Network uh, is powered by E360. So you can download on your smart TVs uh, the E360 TV app. It doesn't matter if it's Apple TV, Roku, Amazon Fire. Download the E360 app and you will find our network there. Also, Pathwater, um, and I don't want to go into a whole long dissertation about them, but I am really big about fighting against plastic pollution. Uh, it's a problem, it ends up in our food, it's poisoning our food, it's poisoning our body, it's poisoning our oceans, and frankly, it's just ugly to look at. And our guest who lives in California can tell you a little bit about plastic pollution, um, but I am all about fighting against it. Um, you can go to drinkpathwater.com, use promo code Joshua T. Berglund, Save 20% on your order and get free shipping anywhere in the United States. Um, that said, also, State and Liberty, thank you guys so much for the suit. Thank you for your support of the Live Mono Worldwide Foundation. Go to stateandliberty.com. Uh, use promo code Joshua T. Berglund and save 15% on any suit, shirts, uh, cufflinks, anything you want. They even have women's clothes. I love this company. It's made in America. Not that that matters. I know we have a global audience, but... It, it, it's it's awesome. Their customer service is over the top. The quality is top notch. And uh, we just love working with them. So God bless them. Thank you. Thank you all for being here. And we will be right back with our guest after this.
Welcome back, everybody. My name is Joshua T. Berglund, and so blessed to have you here. Uh, if you're watching on social media, the platforms that we're still on, because we've been kicked off most of them now. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm literally, I have, what's see, 180, 360, what is, 720 days that I am, uh, now all my content is suppressed at Facebook, but what do you expect? Uh, we like to speak the truth here, and somebody doesn't want to hear it, evidently. Uh, banned from YouTube. So the other platforms, if you're watching, thank you for being here. But really, again, just go to your smart TV, download the E360 TV app. You can even out download the app on your phone. You can watch us there. Uh, so thank you for your support. Thank you for those listening on the radio and the podcast. It means so much to us. We are fighting back against censorship every way possible. Um, because frankly, the truth needs to get out there. So you supporting our network and you supporting the other broadcasts that are a part of our network, by the way, we have a brand new show that is coming on the network starting Sunday and wow, I mean, wow. Uh, she has been kicked off YouTube as well. Um, and so we've invited her to the network and it's just, I'm excited. I listened to one of her episodes about the truth about Russia, adrenochrome, uh, and some other things that... It freaking blew my mind. Um, so you guys won't want to miss that. That'll be Sunday at 6 p.m. Pacific. That's California time. So anyway, all right, without further ado, this is one of the greatest men I know, greatest human beings I know. And he's got a story to tell. Boy, does he have stories. But everywhere he goes, everywhere, I mean, every time I've been around him, like I said before, I've been able to take something from that conversation and apply it to my life. I love watching him just interact with other people. Um, because of just the light that he is to the world. And I'm not talking about any Luciferian light. I'm talking about the light. There's, there's just love that pours out of this guy. And what's amazing about that to me is that when you've gone through the what he's had and he's the things that he's seen in this world, you think that that would jade him and corrupt his mind. But no, no, he's bringing the love and he's bringing the wisdom everywhere he goes. Ladies and gentlemen, it is a great honor for me to introduce my friend, Mr. John Duffy, to the broadcast. What's up, Mr. Duffy? Wow, Joshua, Joshua, thank you, brother. Thank you so much for that. Wow, very, very kind introduction, man. And um, I'm just so glad that we connected and that we are connected for life because of that connection. So mm -hmm. I'm glad to have you in my life. And, and I think, uh, you know, it was a great moment when we made that connection. So thank you. Thank you for having me on the show. And, uh, you know, thank you to your audience who's going to be uh, watching this. Yeah, man. Uh, really, really blessed to have you here. Before we get into the questioning, first things first, what are you grateful for today and why? You know, every day um, I'm grateful for so much today. It's usually the two big things that I always remember. And one is that I'm so blessed with the richness of friends and family that I have in my life. I say I'm one of the richest people because of that. You're one of those people. And today I did another podcast this morning, another unique individual. And I'm just blessed with just all these amazing people that have come into my life. So that's probably the thing that I always feel grateful for, that I always feel that I'm, I'm rich, richer than I could ever possibly imagine because of that. Um, so I don't lack anything because to me, I love people. And the opportunity to have so many amazing people in my life is a blessing. So I can say that's what I'm grateful for. You know, I, I, and I can appreciate that because this day and age, it seems that it's harder than ever to know who to trust. Um, 
you know, who you have in your circle matters. Discernment uh, now is probably as important as, 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 as it has ever been. And, you know, you navigate a very interesting world, and that's the world of entertainment and filmmaking. Um, you've seen some crazy things, I'm sure, but you've also, I mean, just from all of the photos and the stories that I've heard from you, really, I only hear the these positive experiences. And I, and I, I, I guess it's, it's true when they say that, you know, who you are will attract your tribe and like the energy that you're putting out in the world is what you're going to attract back. Because it seems like all the different people that that surround you really are going in the right direction. What do you attribute that to? That's a good question. You know, when I first got into the industry, when I first came to L.A. from New York and made this uh, transition, you know, I say the world's made up of the good, bad and the ugly. And Hollywood has probably even more ugly uh, as well as bad than maybe some other industries or life. And when I first got into the industry, I met a lot of the ugly and bad. And I was really kind of like blown away because I was like, if this is all there is, I don't really want to be part of this. I mean, I I just saw people taking advantage of people, being dishonest, just users, abusers, all that crap. And I was like, I, 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 this is not where I belong. This is not where I need to hang. And, but then, you know, like you said, what you attract, I, I just kept, you know, pursuing and working with people I wanted to work with and not working with people I didn't want to work with. So if I had a bad experience and I met somebody who was a user or abuser, I didn't do it again. I was like, okay, I learned the lesson here. Moving on, don't want to work with you ever again. Even if you want to work with me, sorry, don't want to do it. And then all of a sudden, I just started moving into a world where most of the people I work with are people that have the same values, ethics, morals, and just the same vision for life. Mm. And then it became family. Now I'm working with family and people I love, and it's it's it, it, and it's not work because. I'm having a great time with these people all doing the same kind of thing. And I, and like you said, discernment, when people come at me that I don't want to be part of, I just move away. I say, no, thank you. I'm out of here. I don't want to have that experience. You don't have enough money to get my services. You, you just don't. You know, so speaking to that point, when people come into, let's just use LA as an example, because I mean, even though now you can live anywhere and make movies, you can live anywhere and make TV shows, you can live anywhere and broadcast. It's not that Hollywood is it, but for most people that is, hey, listen, <laughs> you want a challenge? Move to Hollywood and try to make it. it it's, <laughs> it's not the easiest thing in the world to do. And with that said, a lot of people, especially women, but even men too, will go to any audition and it is so hard. And not only is it difficult to ever see a, a project get completed and be distributed, it's equally as hard as just being picked for a part or for a role. And what would you say to the people that have the ambitions and go, of going to Hollywood and, and trying to make it where so many people before them have given into the pressures of, God, I really, I really don't want to sleep with you to get this part, but oh God, I really want this part. And it's so hard. And they think it's going to be their only opportunity and they want to grab it. How, what can you say? What word of advice could you give to the people that are going there that have, that have good intentions, but will also be around some situations that their, their morals could be compromised. 
the, their values can be compromised or really just even put themselves in dangerous situations that they don't want to be in. You know, it's that's that's a tough one. It's easier said than done. But I think the, the, the bottom line of it is you got to respect yourself and you got to love yourself more than anything mm. else. You got to believe that you are somebody special. And when you give up that and you're willing to compromise that for somebody else to use you and abuse you, then you've lost your power. You lost your strength. You lost the pot, really the possibility, really, in most cases of succeeding, because mm -hmm. now you're, you're, you're basically thinking that the only way you're going to make it is if somebody does it for you and you've lost your power. And I think you got to take your power back. Come, come powerful, come with uh, respect, always be learning, always try to be the best you can be. But when you see users and you see people who are trying to take advantage of you, get away from them as quickly as you can. You don't need them in your life because your life's more important than they are. And you're a better person than they are. They're the evil in the world. You're not. Don't let them corrupt you and turn you into the evil. Yeah, that that is 100 percent. I love that. But that advice can be applied to any industry. That is a life lesson. That's not a Hollywood lesson. That's a life lesson. But there it's true. I mean, and you said they reestablish, uh, you didn't say boundaries, but essentially it is reestablishing your boundaries and your self-respect. You know, it's okay to hit the reset button. I mean, I, I went my first go around in uh, L.A., I ended up homeless in eight months and I had a million dollars in the bank when I went there. Wow. Uh, my second go around was a better, much better positive experience, but I came in with the right mindset. And obviously my heart is to, you know, always go back and consider L.A. home because it's where I died and it's where I found life. Um, wow. It's where I saw all the crazy things that in my mind that I didn't know I got to create. It's where it all started. And there's something about the energy there that is so special and it's so unique. And for all the the horror stories that people hear about Los Angeles and Hollywood, the fact is this, it is a special, special place. The people there are special. They're the, the tenacity, just the, the willingness to go one, pay the taxes, <laughs> two, go pursue their dream, and also to be kicked in the teeth day in, day out to make their dreams come true. That is a special breed of human being. And you've been there for, how long have you been in LA? God, I, I moved out here in uh, 91. To, and that time I was, uh, I came to pursue my dreams as an actor and my whole life collapsed in New York. So it was, it was I, I came out with $100 in my pocket and I was having to try and rebuild and recreate myself. And so I came out uh, to, to accomplish that and uh, went on that journey. Dude, that's amazing. So let's go back to New York. Before that happened, before you made the move, before you lost everything, what was going on in New York for you? Well, you know, uh, you know, like you said in the beginning, I got stories. I'm, I'm, I'm working on. A book. <laughs> I got, I got, I'm working on a book called "I Got Stories" because um, it's been a fascinating life. But you know, I'll, I'll, I'll just tell you one of one piece of that year that led me to L.A. So first was at that time I was working in the post office uh, mail handler for five years in the night shift in New York. And I took a Tony Robbins seminar weekend, walked across some hot coals and basically blew my mind. I just got opened up to this old way of thinking that took them take responsibility for your life and you can change your life. So I went back to the post office that night after walking on hot coals and I went, this is over. 
I'm out of here. I'm quitting. I'm retiring. I'm going for my dreams. So I made that decision. And that was a life changing decision. That's never my life has never been the same because of that decision. But all that stuff I learned in that weekend, I thought was going to take me on a quick path to the top. I learned some amazing (laughs) things. I felt like, damn, I'm powerful. I can do anything. You know, I I walk across hot coals. I can do this. I can do that. (laughs) It was the worst year of my life. And uh, a a drunk driver crashed into my car and totaled my car. Um, I I had quit the post office and I thought I could turn it around and stop making some money. I was about all my credit cards were maxed out. I was ready to get evicted. And a former girlfriend of mine who was very dear to me had AIDS. And I spent the last couple of months with her um, until the point where she passed away. And then I was at a funeral. And that time with her was the biggest change in my life because my life was collapsing. And yet she gave me a spirit. As she was dying, she was worried about me and not about herself. And that sense of just blew my mind. And it told me that no matter how bad things were, that I was blessed and I was grateful and I was going to, it would be get better. So when she passed two weeks later, I got a, I got a ride to California and I decided to change my life. And so she gave me that, that gift. And so that year was the hardest year of my life. And yet it was probably the best year because it told me that no matter how hard things are, you can overcome, you can find a way. You can move forward. You can do all those things no matter how hard it gets. Just don't quit. Just keep going. So that changed my life. And so, you know, I take that and I say I was blessed by going through a hard year instead of a year where I thought I was going straight to the top. That didn't happen. But, you know, I think it turned out better because of that. Oh, God, there's a lot there uh, that I just it stirred up in me. Obviously, you know that I live a healthy life with HIV and I mm-hmm. I think back to you know, I'm grateful for the people before me, the doctors that died looking for a cure or were murdered, um, but the, the people that were unwillingly tested and they were, you know, test dummies for the different uh, different drugs, the people that were trialing different drugs to try to find a cure, to try to find a way to heal. And I, I think about the people before me and I just, and it, and it hurts, it hurts my heart, but in a good way. Because without them, like I would not have the life that I have now. And and that means something to me. But going back, that's not you're talking about 1991, right? That's correct. So 1991, there's still a massive stigma about it's not like now. I mean, look, I've got it easy. I mean, there's a lot of people that have HIV that refuse to talk about it, especially publicly or especially on TV. Like, so I, 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 like even though people say I'm courageous for talking about it the way I do, well, actually I I got it. I have it pretty easy because there was people that took a lot of bullets, so to speak before me. Sure. What was that like for you when you find out that you have a friend back then in 1991, when it's still the, it's like the devil's disease, the faggots disease, whatever you want to call it. What, what was that like for you as a friend? Like, did you have to, check yourself to go uh, like, did you have a stigma against it? Did like, what, what was that like for you as a friend? Well, since this came up, I wanted, I'll take you on that little journey and that little story because it was, it was an incredible journey for me. So this, this woman cookie who I had dated for a very short period of time, but we, it was a real intense love that we got and a friendship for life. Right. And so we, after we, 
uh, she broke up with me, but <laughs> for no reason except that's another story. But, you know, we stayed connected and it was a, a deep, deep connection. And when she got married and she had a kid and the way I found out was she called me up one day and asked me, told me that her daughter died and she was like a year old. And I was like, what? So I went to the funeral and I wrote a poem for her. And at that point, I didn't know why her daughter died. She didn't tell me. And then she calls me up and she says her husband died. And now I'm freaking out going, whoa, 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 what, what the hell is this? And then she tells me he had AIDS and she has it as well. So now I'm like, oh, crap. And at that point, like you said, I didn't know it. We didn't know that much about it. And there was a stigma and it was fear. And we didn't, you know, so I started trying and there wasn't you couldn't jump on the Internet. So I had to kind of figure out what, what is this and. And then she, I remember the first time she went to the hospital, uh, Sloan Kettering Hospital in Manhattan. And I went to visit her in the hospital. And, you know, it's kind of funny now with COVID, with all the masks and the, the gowns and all that. But when I got to the hospital, I had to put on a mask and a gown and all this stuff to go in the room where she was. And, you know, they had the signs up and the fear and everything. And I went into the room, uh, Joshua, and she's laying in the bed. And she was a small, young, you know, small girl. She was like, you know, 100, 120 pounds. And she's laying there and, and, you know, I'm in the mask and all this freaking garments and everything. And I'm scared. I mean, let me let me be real. I'm scared. And she looks at me and she says, hey, bro, take off that shit. You don't need that. You're not going to catch anything from me. And I looked at her and I just went, I breathed deep and I took everything off. And I just felt so relaxed that I didn't have to be in the trying to be a, a block from her with all this garb. And then we just started talking and we just started catching up on life. And then, you know, uh, when she got out of the hospital, I went to visit her. I would take her out. I would take her places. And, and it, you know, and there was, us. you know, I take her in a wheelchair and people were looking at me. And I felt a little, you know, I was kind of shy at the time. I felt a little, you know, uh, uneasy with everybody looking at me. But I didn't care. You know, I just cared about doing right by her. I felt that she needed me and I was there. You know, I was there to be with her. Um and then I was with her at the hospital and I remember telling her, you know, let go, Cookie, let go. And she died the next morning. And, you know, Joshua, and I always say now that God had a bigger plan for me than I have for myself. Yeah. When I moved to California, I, I was walking down Santa Monica Boulevard. And I was acting at the time and there was a sign up. They were looking for people with real stories to be in a, a, a play of real life stories. And I just saw that as a sign. And I went home and I wrote. Uh, a, a one-man play called Goodbye, My Friend about Cookie. And I went back to audition for it, and they had a sign-up. If you don't have the thing finished, don't waste that time. Well, I didn't have it finished because, I mean, I only wrote it in a day, right? So I was going to walk away, and I went, no, damn it, I got to go in. And I went in, and I performed the three-quarters of what I had written, and then I apologized. And the director and the producer were crying like babies. And they said, oh, my God, please, we'll help you finish it. Please finish this. So I did, and we I performed it in a play for about three months. But then more important than that, Joshua, and I tell all this because it opened up and I didn't know we were going to go there. I was working at the time. I got a job working with runaway kids in Hollywood as a counselor. Oh, and cool. so one of the counselors knew I was performing this play called Goodbye, My Friend. He asked me to perform it in the runaway shelter for all these homeless kids. So I said, sure. And I performed this play. And when I finished, all the kids, like 25 kids, they're balling, man. I'm balling. They're balling. And they're coming up to me going, can I call my parents? I want to go home. Another one's like, can I get into school? 
that she touched their lives through me. She, I was able to be the vehicle to take that story and touch these homeless kids. And to me, that was like, at the time, I was like, how does that happen? I didn't plan this. I had no plan for any of that. Um, but that was one of the most meaningful moments of my life to this day, even. So that's one of my stories, man. You oh, know, but I. God. <laughs> uh, wow, man. Uh, I. <laughs> okay. I need to get my composure back here. Um, dude. First of all, thank you for sharing that. I, I knew you were a good dude, but that's, that's special to me, man. I, um. I knew I've always felt comfortable around you. And I like when we first met, I was still kind of a maniac. Like I was coming out on the other side of things, but yes. like I still was battling a lot of freaking demons and you just showed me love, man. And I, I'll just never, for, I'll never forget that ever. And I mean, and, and now I can just, I can like that. I feel like I know you a little bit more now. That <laughs> makes me even a bigger fan of you. <laughs> anyway. Man, I think that's amazing, especially working with, you know, the kids. And actually, I want to ask you about that. Sure. Working with the homeless kids. What, when you're working with homeless kids, like in, in, this, in that setting, because I've been, I've been very fortunate to get uh, in LA uh, a couple different times, go to where downtown, where the Skid Row is, they have a couple of facilities there where kids can go and play and they can take showers and things like that. Um, and I've had the opportunity to speak to them. That is a, that in itself, just getting to talk with them is a life changing, soul changing experience. But from your perspective as an artist, as a humanitarian, humanitarian and everything else, when you're looking at them, do you see, what do you see? You know, the way I got into the job, I guess what, uh, opened it up for me was obviously, you know, all the things I learned with Tony Robbins and, and having that kind of mindset and that kind of thing. So when I moved to California, I scrambled, I had no money at a hundred dollars. I worked as a, uh, as a, a real estate loan officer. I did uh, interviews. I did telephone sales. I was hustling. And then I got a job. I saw they had, they needed a counselor and I had some background and I kind of hustled my way into that position as a counselor, but I knew I had the skill sets and the mindsets to work with these kids. And these were runaways. And, and, you know, I looked at them, I was a a street kid. I grew up on the streets of the South Bronx and I, a lot of my friends were heroin addicts and I had friends who died from heroin. I had guns put to my head four times when I was, you know, during that period of time in the Bronx. So I had, you know, I, I saw them as me, And I also saw them as people who some of them made bad choices or poor choices. And some of them had a really screwed up, dysfunctional life family and escaping to the streets was a a better decision maybe than what they were going through in their life. So Mm -hmm. you couldn't judge them. It wasn't like, you know, it was they were in a tough position and they needed mentors. They needed people who could inspire them to be better, to, to overcome those things that, that they've been through to become who they could possibly be. And I, I was put in a situation and I tried to do that in, in that environment for two years as a counselor. Um, and, you know, I got along with all the kids as if they were just 
because they were like me. I mean, you know, I wasn't like dealing with that they're, they're different or worse than me or, you know, not as yeah. cool as me. They were me just make, made different because I didn't make the choices of doing drugs. I got lucky. A lot of my friends got into heroin. I didn't. I rejected it. I played basketball on the streets. I hung out with all my friends, but I didn't get caught up in the drug thing. And that's mm. why I had an easier life going forward because of that, because I didn't make that choice. I didn't have that experience. I, I, I love that you said that. And in your opinion, having worked with that, I, I don't the, the the kids that have experienced homelessness and poverty to the level that they have, what would you say the one thing that they needed that's probably not the most obvious? Who? Um, to change, I think you need to want to change and you need to believe you can change. And a lot of them don't believe they can because you know you, the how will come. You can show them the how, but you gotta want to change. You know, it's like, and you know this, you know, like if you got an addiction, you gotta at some point want, something has gotta motivate you enough, whether it's pain or pleasure or fear or, or a dream, something has to motivate you enough to say, I don't, I'm not going to do this anymore. I'm better than this. I don't have to be this. I can be something else. You got to get to that point to change. And it's hard. It's not easy if you've never had that belief, you never had that experience. So you're, it's kind of, and you can't do it logically because change doesn't, isn't a logical experience. It, it, no. It's a, it's in your gut, emotional experience. You got to have it in, in, in your gut, you know, and because once you got it in your gut, you can do anything. I mean, you know, you, you don't have you don't want to eat for 20 days. You can do that. It's not that hard, but you got to have it there in your gut that you you have a reason to do it. And then you do it. It's hard to teach that, um, but it has to be exper experiential. Like I'll give you an example. When I was at Covenant House, which was the, the program I was working for in, in Hollywood, uh, towards the end of it, I got, um, I reached out to Tony Robbins and I wanted to take a group of the kids to his seminar and have him sponsor them. So, cause you know, we couldn't afford to pay for them. So he, he reached back to me and he said, sure, you know, bring. So I brought six kids. I think it was six kids to his, his, uh, weekend seminar. Wow. And, uh, one of the kids was a gang member, Bloods or Crips. The other five were just, you know, street kids, uh, homeless kids, all of them homeless. And the gang member was like, I'm not afraid of walking on hot coals. He was the tough guy. All the other five kids were like, I ain't walking on hot coals. I'm like, yeah, <laughs> you don't have to walk on hot coals. Whatever, man. Just go have the experience. It ain't about the hot coals. It's about what you're going to learn. Have the experience, guys. Well, of course, the weekend happened. The firewalk happened. The five kids who were afraid walked on the hot coals. The sixth kid, the gangbanger kid, was too afraid to do it, even though he talked a tough game. Um, <laughs> The five kids' lives, man, when they came back, they went on a path of change. They wow. started doing things to go back to school, to get back with their families. They started going on a positive road of change because they got introduced to this, but not intellectually, experientially. <laughs> they got an experience, and the experience gave them that possibility, that dream. I could do more with my life. 
the kid who was the gangbanger went back to being a gangbanger, left the program and went on his unfortunate path in the, in the wrong direction. Um, but, you know, it's hard. It, it's, I think you got to give people an experience to help them change. Man, that's really powerful. Um, and I want to ask one last question on this. Sure. When you were working with them, because I one thing I believe about creatives um, like yourself and even myself is that you have an ability to recognize talent and to recognize gifts. In that setting where, you know, they hope is minimal, if any, were you able to recognize the gifting of the children that you were working with? Yeah, you know, you see, and, and, and unfortunately, not everybody, you see t talent. Some kids are artistic, some kids are musical, some kids are got social skills. Mm -hmm. You know, you get, to, you get to see that and you, you want to encourage people's strength because that's what they need to move towards. You know, because we're all different. You know, I can't, I can't sing. If you, if you try and teach me how to sing, that's a waste of your time and my time. But, you know, <laughs> but, you, know you, you want to find people's gifts and you want to encourage those gifts and, and help grow them and, and also encourage their passion. What's their passion? What could, they, what could they be good at? You know, what could they um, enjoy in life? And you want to encourage that because that leads to a better life. And then, you, you know, and then unfortunately, there was kids who came in there who were so dysfunctional that you just kind of, you know, you kind of felt, or I felt that it wasn't going to ever lead to a positive conclusion for them, unfortunately. And it, yeah. and, and in some cases it didn't, it really, you know, they ended up in jail for life or they just ended up in bad places because the damage that was done was so deep. Um, it, it was hard to, like I said, cause you can't force somebody to change. You can't yeah. take them and say, this is, you need to change. Well, good luck with that. You know, if they're not willing to make that move, they're not changing. Yeah, I, I appreciate you saying that. I I'm there, I was asking those questions because a big part of our mission and a lot of my heart is in L.A. and other large inner cities and that deal with extreme poverty and gangs and violence and drugs and other things. And um, the vision for what we do now actually started in L.A. And um, so I you know, my heart's desires. I want, I want anyone I can help achieve what God created them to do. I want to do, and I want to help. And, you know, sometimes those that have a servant's heart, um, you know, they're hard headed too, in the sense that they'll try to help somebody until they just exhaust themselves. And it's like, it's not going anywhere. And then they get upset or frustrated that they're not able to help that kid or help that human being. Um, so I, I, I appreciate you saying that because speaking of discernment, it's good to have that even with who you're trying to help because sure. we all come across situations where, well, you can try to help somebody, but it ends up sucking your soul dry and, and then you've got nothing left to give anyone else. So I, I do appreciate you saying that. Um, well, you, Joshua, I, I don't ask if you have time because you, because you say uh, LA is your heart. Uh, you need to go into. No, no, not at all. No. So I would just tell you to take a look online uh, at this guy. He has a book out. His name is Officer Dion Joseph, and he is a police officer who's worked on Skid Row for, I don't know, maybe 20 plus years. He's a, um, a religious person. He has a I mean, he has nothing but love. after 20 years. He still has nothing but love for the uh, 
people who are just never going to change, most of them, unfortunately, but he still brings love and service to them in any way he can. And he has changed a lot of people's lives because some people wanted to change and he was he was there to help them get that path. Read his book. Um, if you find a way to, to reach out, he is just, to me, he's one of those uh, angels on the street that just has a heart of gold, but he's hard-headed. He's a warrior. He's a police officer. <laughs> he's a tough guy, man, you know, and, and he's been in tough situations and, and he has discernment and he, and he's just smart, but he's, uh, he's somebody who changes lives because he has love and he has compassion and, and he wants to, he wants to bring God's message and he wants to bring a, a positive message to uh, anybody who can uh, listen to it. You said Dion Joseph, right? Dion Joseph. Yeah. yeah. You know, I have not met him personally. I've read his stuff. I've watched some of the interviews on Epic Times with him. Um, just, I mean, he's just a, a truly a great human being. Yeah, I'll check him out. And there's a lot of I'm earth angels like that all around L.A. I mean, really all over the world, but it, they show up in L.A. It's it's unbelievable. And you can almost feel them around. And there's all of these just inspiring stories of people there. But again, I mean, you know, we have a global mission, but it started in L.A. And my heart is there um, because I believe with all my heart. And I don't know where this saying came from, but I believed it in my heart and in my core since I heard it. But as as Hollywood goes, the world goes. And obviously film and TV has a, to, such a huge influence on the world, um, obviously, because people want to come there and they'll do anything to make it and so on. But that influence that that the entertainment world has on the world, music, TV, film, that it's it's just there's something about it there. But I want to ask you, um, because you have just got you just finished wrapped up filming uh, Left Behind. There's a there's a new installment of Left Behind. Uh, why don't you share your experience with filming that movie with everybody? Yeah, it was a, a great opportunity that was presented to me by Kevin Sorbo, who um, I worked with once before up in Calgary, uh, Canada, on another movie called Miracle in East Texas, which is a true story, a great movie that hopefully will be out next year. Cool. Anyway, he was going up to direct uh, and act in this uh, movie, The Left Behind series. And so he reached out to my partner, producer partner, and myself to come up and produce it with him and um, join him on the adventure. So you know, we went up to Cal we we kind of pushed to go to Calgary because the team up there is a great team. The look of the city is a great look for the movie, and it offered some financial benefits to the to the investors as well. So we pushed for Calgary. Uh, we went up and we had to pull off a miracle in the sense that normally we have five, six weeks to prep a movie. We had two weeks to prep it and start shooting, and we have four weeks to shoot this feature film in 19 days. And we also had to avoid the bad weather that was about to hit us up in Calgary. And it all came together. We, we did it. We pulled it off in, in uh, two weeks of prep, four weeks of shoot. And, and uh, we made, I believe, a great movie. Uh, Kevin today reached out to us and said he's just looked at the second edit of the movie so far. And he's like so thrilled with it. And uh, he's a great director, uh, great human being. He used to be Hercules back on TV yeah. in the day. And just an inspiring guy. So he, him, my producing partner, myself, we set the tone because the way we do film and filmmaking is very different than Hollywood. We go wherever we go, no matter where we go, we come <coughs> in at, 
as a guest of where the people we came into. We treat them with respect and we want to make everybody our family. Uh, we don't come in there thinking we're better than anybody. We're not. Uh, we don't think we're special. We're not. Uh, we just come in with our skills, put together a team, create a family, and try to make the best project we can make together and have a great time while we're doing it. And that's what we do. And because of that, everybody just after the experience is like, man, we love this experience. And that's what we want because we want to keep having that kind of we love that experience every time we do it. Um, no matter how hard it is, that doesn't mean you can't still create that experience. That's on you. So we did that. We did it again a second time. And everybody up there just loved working with us. And they're like, when are you coming back? And we're like, yeah, we want to come back a few more times. I mean, because it's that it was that the movie will be out probably next year in the theaters. Uh, Kevin was in it. Great cast. Uh, Neil McDonough, um, Corbin Burnson, uh, Bailey Chase and a bunch of Greg Perrow and great, great actors. Everybody did a fantastic job. And I just think the story, you know, is timely. Uh, it'll make people think, it'll make people feel, it, you know, makes you realize what's important in life. And I think we need more of that out. Like you were saying with Hollywood, you know, a co Hollywood culture is, is, is real, um, has a big impact on our lives and internationally as well. Unfortunately, mm -hmm. a lot of uh, the impact it has is a negative impact. And I think we need to make more movies and, and uh, TV shows and music that inspire people, that lift people up, that, that basically brings us together, teaches us how to respect each other. That, it's entertaining, but it's inspiring. And we need to create more of that. And I think people are starting to do more of that to be um, the anti-Hollywood, so to speak, that, that inspires people mm -hmm. to maybe the way Hollywood used to be a long, long, long time ago, uh, back in the day when it first started. That's what I think we need more of again. Do you believe that the culture uh, of Hollywood can change? Woo. Um, I think the people who are good in Hollywood need to create their culture. It, 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 it's, you know, I, I was interviewed on a show, Epic Times, about it uh, nine months ago <clears throat> um, on cancel culture. It was an hour show interview with me on cancel culture in Hollywood. And obviously, my, my uh, opinion is that we should cancel cancel culture. That's the only thing. <laughs> Um, but that whole garbage and that whole mindset is uh, totally <coughs> destructive and especially destructive to young people. You know, we it, 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 a lot a lot of the um, mentality there is not going to change because they don't want to change it. And, you know, as long as they can profit off of what garbage that they put out, they'll keep profiting off the garbage. And the only way that that'll change a little bit is if people stop buying the garbage. So if you impact them in the only place that they really care about, unfortunately, is in their pocketbooks, then you might produce a little bit of change. Are you, are you going to change their hearts and their minds? Maybe some people, maybe a couple of people, but not a lot immediately because they're not looking to change their minds and hearts. They think they're right. They think they know everything. And quite frankly, they don't really care about, uh, about the people. You know, they just care about themselves and their, and their whole thing. Yeah, I, I really, I've been a part of um, a few of the underground meetings of people, the the underground Christian movement in Hollywood. Uh, I was blessed to be a part of a church there uh, before I left. That I mean, it was like real underground meetings. It was pretty neat, um, and I got to meet a few different celebrities that were believers, and 
you know, they were like orchestrating the plan to try to, you know, they want to change Hollywood. But you can't change anything if you're silent. And so many people are afraid to speak out because they don't want to be canceled, as you said. But these people with power, with real power and influence, um, if they don't do their job, in my opinion, and start speaking the truth, nothing's going to change. They've got to have courage. And and here's the other thing, too, that baffles me. The good guys, quote unquote, whatever that is, they have money, too. They have the money to finance films. Master P, Mr. Nipsey Hussle, I'm using a music example, but to me, they laid a blueprint for people that want to take control of their destiny and not want to have to answer to any of the clowns that try to control and rule over your life. And that is own everything, own your messaging, own your content. If you're going to promote a product, you create it and you distribute it or you promote it. Like you don't let anyone have that power over you. And now with the technology the way it is and like the new immersive media technology that we have um, where it, it's like it it's a for if I was creating a movie like that's how I would do it is use this technology because one the monetization increases you get to keep more of your money you're not distributed out to theaters and everywhere else and paying for marketing uh, to outside sources that have nothing to do with you but also the experience for the viewer is five times better than a theater experience because of engagement, because of just the overall immersive experience that's available. All of that's available for people and it's not exactly expensive to get involved. And, and I, don't, I, I just don't understand why more people just don't go, I'm just going to do this myself. Is it because they fear the backlash and the power that can come down on them? Or is it just simply they just don't know? I, I I don't know the answer. Well, I don't know if I do either, uh, except to say that um, a lot of people, and probably the people in some of your meetings, uh, are people don't have a uh, a career enough to financially be stable. So mm. if they speak out, then they get blacklisted and they're not able to work. So now they have no income for, to do what they do. And the only way you can um, change that is when you have an alternative source of projects, products that you could work in and make income as well. So then you can say, well, I don't need to work for you. I can work over here. So I don't need to work for Amazon. I can work in the anti-Amazon. And, mm -hmm. you know, when you, and, and that's starting to grow in, in social media, we're starting to see, alternative social media sites, uh, Revolver to YouTube, Getter to Twitter. You're starting to see people create alternatives. And uh, until you have alternatives, people don't have a way to succeed and survive. Some are going to be courageous because courageous people do courageous. Yeah. But people who are not courageous are afraid because how do I survive? How do I make money? How do I do what I love? And they're the only game in town. So you're, you're kind of in, in a bind and it's a horrible bind. Um, uh, people need to speak out more. People have to risk and be courageous and not be afraid because it, we're at a different time than we've ever been before. Um, yeah. And that's true in my lifetime. And, and, and you got to make courageous choices, whether it's, it's the, the choice of courage in the face of a pandemic or it's the choice of courage in the face of, of people who are telling you to uh, hate on people who disagree with you. You got to choose courage. Otherwise, you're going to be manipulated 
totally into the program that they're selling. And it's not a good program. Um, they're, sell, they're selling fear. They're selling hate, division. They're just selling stuff that's just, you don't want to buy. It's just like me and my neighborhood when the people came around selling heroin. Hey, hey, look, we're giving you a discount on it. Yeah, okay. I don't want the discount. I don't want the product. Bye. You know, so just because they're selling it cheap or they're selling it, finding ways to drag you in, you get people got to stop buying their product. People have to start uh, moving away from them and creating their own uh, way of living and a more positive way. And when we start putting them into an economic loss, then we'll see what happens. Again, more sound wisdom. Where do you, throughout your life and all the different experiences, and I mean, guys, everyone watching or listening right now, you want, follow Mr. Duffy, like follow John Duffy and what he's doing. Um, Cause when he pops up with a Facebook live and he's doing his, I've got stories, <laughs> the stories are amazing. And like, we literally, this could be a 10 hour interview. Like it just is, there's a lot of stories and a lot of places to go, but with everything that you've been through growing up in the South Bronx uh, to even life in LA, your experiences with Tony Robbins, what was probably, what, what is the greatest challenge that you've had presented to you where it looked like, oh my gosh, I'm finished. And yet it ended up being the greatest blessing of your life. Other than the story you already told about your friend. What, what's one of those situations? You know, I, I would say, I, I've been through multiple periods and you talked about losing your money. I, I never made that much money. So, you know, because I grew up in poverty, um, finances have always been a challenge for me. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I, and, and in two, two ways, one, I never um, felt driven by money and I'm still not driven by money. I'm driven by something bigger than money. Mm -hmm. and, and I don't dislike, you know, there was a point when I was a communist, I hated uh, rich people. I don't hate rich people. I don't hate money. I don't hate any of that stuff, but <laughs> money doesn't drive me. You know, I think yeah. there's way more important things in life than money and money's money's a great thing to have. It gives you a lot of ability to do certain things if you use it properly and you use it well. But I've been through periods of time where I've struggled financially. And even later in this, my life, a few years back where I was like, I hit the wall and I was like, how do I survive? And I had to scramble and go at this point in my life, I'm scrambling to just survive again. And I got mad. I got angry. I was like, damn it, God, this is freaking wrong, man. How, yeah. how is this possible to, for me? You know, but I went out and I scrambled and I did things I didn't want to do. I drove a lift. I, you know, I went and became an extra. I did things. And in that process, I, I, I just said, this is fine. I'm going to be good. I'm going to get through this. I'm going to get to the other side. And when I let go, the doors opened up again. And all of a sudden, all kinds of projects started coming in my direction. So it was like, you know, I went into fear for a moment. And then I was like, no, no, don't do that. Don't go into this fear. That's just going to take you down. Let go. You know, just see it as a learning experience. Just one more thing in life. You're going to learn from it. You're going to have more stories. Deal with it. And let's go. Let's go. And that's what I did. And I got through it. That's super powerful. The other thing I want to point out before we wind down the interview, um, you've gone through quite the physical transformation too. Um, what inspired you to take that journey and when did it start? Because I, I saw the before and after photos the other day and I was like, holy crap. I mean, it was like, wow. It reminded me, I mean, I weighed, I got up to 300 pounds 
somehow cocaine made me fat. <laughs> wow. That's yeah. unusual. Well, there's a story there, but still it did. <clears throat> I got up to 300 pounds. And so like, I know how challenging it is to, to be able to lose that weight, keep it off and just maintain. I mean, cause I still kind of fluctuate like yo-yo effect, just not getting up to 300 pounds anymore. I've like a, a 15 pound swing that I go on and that I'm, I'm working on fixing that too. But that said, what inspired you to change? Because that's not an easy thing to do. Well, I've always, you know, I've always been physical or fit. You know, I, when I was young, I, I, I was a instructor at Jack Lane for two years, teaching aerobic classes. And so I, I was, a, I studied martial arts. I always had, I played basketball. I always was into fitness, but I would like you, I went through phases, you know, phases of your life. And I went through a phase where I just kind of started slacking and, and I wasn't working out that much. And I gained, you know, it, I think I was about 225, 230 pounds in that picture uh, at that time. And, but I have always had, you know, once again, once I, once I make a declaration and I set my, my will to it, it, it reminded me, it, I always have a story <laughs> that I can always use to get me through this. When I came back from school, um, college because I eventually went to college after dropping out and I went I was in Chicago I came back and I put on weight drinking beer and doing those college uh, stupid things right so my little uh, nephew who was like I don't know seven years old he pokes me in the belly and he goes hey it's the Pillsbury Doughboy now that little bit of pain he hit me in he hit me deep with that I wasn't going to get be called the Pillsbury Doughboy for the rest of my life (laughs) so I went on a two-week water fast. I didn't eat food. I, I was living with his, his, uh, my brother, who was his father. I stayed with them, and I drank water for two weeks, no food. And every night, that kid would put food in front of me to tempt me. And every night he did that, it made me stronger, and it made me stronger. And at the, at the end of the two weeks, I had dropped like 20 pounds. I went and got a job at Jack Lane, and I went on another path. So you know, what this time when COVID hit, I saw all these people falling back, the gyms closed. I said, I'm going to go the opposite direction. Here's a, here's a opportunity for me to get in the best shape of my life. Let's go. And so I started walking. I hate walking. I got up to 15 miles a day. I was like, God, I hate this. I feel like Forrest Gump. We're going to start following me down the street, you know, but I, I started doing it, man. And then I started working out at home. And then once the gym opened up, I was there. And then I was com- And then a, a good buddy of ours, Jason Cisneros, mm-hmm. he started doing this 5 a.m. thing. And I don't get up at 5, 5 a.m. And I went, okay, if he can do it, I can at least do it one day a week. And then next thing you know, I'm doing it seven days a week. And I'm here we go. And now I'm on a journey. You know, I'm, as a matter of fact, I'm on a just started a protein um, liquid fast for like three days. So I'll, I'll probably drop another four pounds and then just keep on this path because it's like, this is an opportunity. When life throws you something, you can turn it into the opposite. That's your power. So I said, this is my power. Let me, let me turn it in into making myself the best shape. And, and uh, that way I'm ready for whatever else comes our direction. Man, you don't disappoint. <laughs> I, I, could, I just need to give you your own segment. You come on every week and just talk and share your story. Hey, well, I, I want to, you know, one of the things on my agenda is I'm, I've been doing the Facebook lives, as you know, but I want to do a podcast show. Um, Cause I know so many fantastic human beings like yourself and so I'm like, I need to introduce them to people I know because, you know, to me, that's my greatest gift in life is that I'm rich in friends and not just friends, but great friends. 
And so I want to introduce all those friends so they can share with all my friends their messages. So I'm going to, you know, probably this, this year, I'll probably start, learn from you and do a podcast show called Living Courageously. And um, I'll start bringing people on too. And we can go back and forth, man. But, um, you know, you, you've been great. You've inspired me as well. So thank you. Uh, man, I, again, I'm honored to have you here. I cannot wait to see you again, um, wherever it is in the world. I don't even care. Um, LA would be cool, but you know, yes, anywhere is great. Um, before we close out, plug anything you want to plug and, uh, we'll be done. Sure. Well, thank you, man. You know, uh, and I'll have a chance later in the future. I have two, the two books I wrote. One is, um, at the moment is called an Irish miracle, a memoir of my life, or the alternative title was black, black Irish, not your average white boy. So that's <laughs> uh, my, my first memoir that I wrote. And then during COVID, I wrote my second memoir, which is from Mao to Reagan, a born-again American, about my political journey from being a communist Maoist leader to being a patriot. So both those books will hopefully I'll get a publisher sometime next year. And they're both memoirs of two parts of my life. So there's that. And then I'm working on a movie. We did a, a press conference a few months ago down in Texas, a movie called They Call Me Termite, about a boxer from Houston, Texas, who took the Iraqis to the 2004 Olympics. And we have a partnership with Sylvester Stallone to make that movie. So a lot of great it. things happening in 2022. I, I know about that project because you've been, I've heard about it for you. I'm so happy for you. It, it, oh my God. I know this story because I've heard, I mean, you've told me about it. it it's I'm a miracle so story. He, he's one of the greatest people I've met in my life. And, and, you know, once again, I just keep me, you know, having great people who now become, family for life because he's my brother for life and um just it's an amazing story inspirational once again what how you can change lives when you have courage you oh. know he he risked his life in a war zone to help iraqi kids a guy from houston texas a poor guy from houston texas what a freaking amazing story and that's why i love those are the things that i get attracted to is all of us who bend through the, the fire and we came out the other side that's who I love in life. That's who I like to hang with. Not the people who've had the easy, privileged life. That doesn't interest me. It interests me to people like yourself and, and him and other people who they've gone through the fire and they came out the other side. Dead gummit, man. I have chills all over me because I, I, I mean, I didn't even want to ask because I didn't want to hear no. <laughs> <laughs> I, so I am giddy for you because this story is awesome. I mean, the I'm looking forward to seeing Left Behind. Uh, I, I just, listen, man, I, you, you inspire me. You're one of the best people I know. And I'm just so grateful for your time, man. Thank you. Thank you, brother. I really appreciate it. And, uh, we were both blessed when we met each other. So thank you for the opportunity to have me on your show, man. Amen, brother. I'll talk to you soon. All right. Take care. God bless you. God bless you, man. John freaking Duffy, everybody. I told you he was awesome. I mean, that's, I don't go back and watch all of the, the the conversations. I don't like calling them interviews because I, really it's just a conversation. But man, that was cool. And I and, and it caught me off guard. What you guys don't know is that we actually did this a couple days ago. We got halfway through the interview and the internet was crapping out the whole time. I've been sweating bullets underneath my suit by stateandliberty.com. Uh, <laughs> sweating bullets that the internet was going to go out especially with what we were talking about. 
So now it's like, I was so bummed because the, 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 the last interview was freaking awesome too, but it was a completely different direction. So this is proof that God, everything happens for a reason because I was not expecting any of this today. None of it. I mean, I, the Left Behind movie, yes, um, but really wouldn't even focus on that. We talked, God. Yeah, that's that's what talking, that's what having a conversation with Mr. John Duffy is. So I hope that you were blessed by that. I know I was. Uh, thank you guys so much for sharing this out with friends. Thank you for all of all of you who watched on the Live Mono Worldwide Multimedia Broadcast Network. Uh, you can go to livemonoworldwide.org. That's L-I-V-E-M-A-N-A worldwide.org. Find all of our content there. Um, and of course, download the E360 app on your smart TVs and find the, the network there. But that was incredible. You guys go support John. Uh, his journey has been incredible. It's so inspiring. And um, yeah, check it out. So thank you for being here. God bless you. And we'll see you soon. Thank you.